All right, well, um, welcome once again to discipleship class. This is class number four. And if you are looking at the title slide, it's the same title uh, as last Wednesday. We didn't uh, quite get to uh, that particular subject on last Wednesday, but that's okay. We'll be good um, with it. I started to change it, but I said, you know what, we'll just um, leave it like that. Uh, really, the titles are more for reference later after we get, um, you know, 15, 20 of these recorded people. Remember that class that we talked about? Which one was that? So try to help give us a little... Um, information so we can uh, reference that, those of you who are interested in that. So, amen. Well, we've got a great group in the room uh, this evening, and uh, welcome to those of you who were with us online. And uh, let's pray and we'll get started. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Father, thank you for another day of life, a day that you've made according to your word, a day that we should be glad and rejoice. And Father, we've got a lot to be thankful for. Forgive us, Lord, for ever taking a day of our lives for granted. Uh, each one's a gift, and Lord, each one's an opportunity. And we thank you for the opportunities that are before us now, Lord. We want to make the most of it. Lord, thank you for uh, these precious men and women who have joined us, um, Lord, for the class this evening. I thank you, Father, that uh, we are all stepping out of our comfort zone to some extent. Uh, Lord, to hear and receive and accept, Father, uh, your wisdom into our lives with humility. Thank you, Lord, uh, for a passion that's uh, in these men's and women's hearts for you and a passion, Father, that's in their hearts, Lord, to, to know your truth and to walk in your ways for their lives. Lord, I pray for those that are joining this class. I pray for the families that they represent. I thank you, Father, for what you're doing in and through us, Lord, and for all the people that these men and women are going to reach and minister to for your glory. Father, uh, thank you for the Holy Spirit as he leads us and guides us into the truth that you have for us this evening. We pray these things together in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. amen. All right, so um, again, uh, class number four, and I'm going to do a little bit of uh, just review. And I say a little bit. That's one of the things that I really try to uh, zero in on is, is the review part because I, I have a tendency to review so much of the last class that we don't have enough time to get the new class in. But there's a couple of verses that we looked at last week that have really spoken to me of late in the last few months in, in my life and, and really challenged me. And uh, I pray that they're challenging you. And so let me just real quick from Mark chapter 4, verses 24 and 25. And this is the Passion Translation. Then he said to them, Be diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. For as you do, more understanding will be given to you. And according to the depth of your longing to understand, much more will be added to you. For those who listen with open hearts will receive more revelation, but those who don't listen with open hearts will lose what little they think they have. I am so thankful tonight for the things that the Lord has taught me and things that He's revealed to me, but there are still a lot of things about life and about living for God that, that are a mystery to me. And when I say a mystery to me, it's just things that, simple way of saying it, things that I don't understand or don't understand to the, to the extent or the degree that I would like to understand them. And uh, we know that in Jesus are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We know that the Holy Spirit uh, takes from the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Jesus and reveals them to us. But we also see that there's something that we can do to qualify ourselves uh, to receive more and more understanding, more and more truth, more and more wisdom and revelation from God. Uh, one of my all-time favorite Bible teachers, Brother Kenneth Copeland, he he says this, he says, one word from God can change your life forever. 
And it's so true, you know, to, to have the Holy Spirit open your eyes just to, to one thing that you've been missing, one piece of the puzzle that all of a sudden is a game changer, so to speak, in, in your life. And so, you know, my prayer over this class tonight and, and pretty much every time I have an opportunity to stand in front of people and speak to them is that the Holy Spirit would reveal things to you, not, not just things that you hear me say, but ultimately things that you hear Him say, uh, where He takes the Word of God and opens it and expounds it and reveals it to you uh, in, in ways that uh, mere human intellect and understanding uh, are, are able to do. And so He says, diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. So think about what he's saying there. You're going to hear things that you don't understand. You're going to read things in the Bible that don't make sense to you. You're going to you know, be sitting in classes and hear sermons or, or, or studying or reading a, a book that some godly man or woman has written, and you're going to see things that, that maybe you don't understand. Or here's another way of saying it. Something that will challenge what you have thought or believed up until that point in your life um, and so here we've got this opportunity, right, to are we going to go with what we've always believed or are we going to look deeper into the Word of God and allow what we've always believed to, to be challenged by the Scriptures and, and search it out further? Um, there's a, a lot of things that people believe in the body of Christ today that have absolutely no basis in Scripture, have absolutely no biblical foundation for them. They are misinterpretations of Scripture. They are misrepresentations of Scripture. Um, like, for instance, 2 Corinthians 10, 13, the Bible says, God will not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able, but will with every temptation make a way of escape. Do you know do you ask how many people believe that verse says God won't put more on you than you can bear? <laughs> Again, we've already looked in, in, in Matthew, right, that his, what, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And this idea that God piles all these things on us and He's just trying to see how much we can take, but He won't give us too much, that's not what that verse is saying. It literally says that God will... Who's the tester? Who's the tempter? Satan is the tester. Satan is the tempter, right? Let no man say when he's tested, tempted, or tried, he's being tested, tempted, or tried by God. For God cannot be tested, tempted, or tried by evil, nor will He test, tempt, or try any man. That's James. Do you realize how many people stand in pulpits every week and talk about God testing people and tempting people and trying people? When the scriptures plainly say he doesn't do it and that we should never say he does. Okay? But the devil's behind that. So I'm just, again, I'm, now see, some of you are like, well, I don't know about that, Pastor Mark. Well, see, now, now this is, you're making my point for me. Allow some of the things that you may believe along those lines to be challenged, not, not by me, by the scriptures, by the word of God, by the Holy Spirit. Um, over the years, and I, you know, there's no one person that I'm thinking about in particular in all of this, but, but, you know, I've had people, you know, say things to me, you know, where the Lord's trying to do something in their lives, and they're like, well, I, you know, that's that's not my doctrine. I don't. That's not what I believe. That's, and I've, you know, I've tried to do it gently, but sometimes a little more firmly, maybe than I should have. Speak the truth in love, right? Is the is the biblical rule? But I've either gently or firmly, I've asked folks just point blank: Is there any chance what you believe is your problem? You know, is there any chance that, that, you know, you think something is true that's not true? That you believe something about God and how God operates that's absolutely not true about Him or how He operates? And, and so that's, you know, our willingness. Notice he says, be diligent um, to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. For as you do, more understanding will be given to you. 
And then it comes down to this, according to the depth of your longing to understand, much more will be added to you. For those who listen with open hearts. Those who listen with open hearts. Um, I'm not, I don't have time, and it's not the place. I'm going to go into some of it in the, in, the, in the service this evening. And you say, well, I don't get to come to that pastor. Well, listen, it's all archived on, on the Internet, okay? And, and, and um, so I'm not trying to tell you that to tease you or anything like that. Please don't ever think I would do that. But there are some things about faith and believing God and operating by faith that, um, to be honest with you, I've, I've held and believed for a long time that the Lord is challenging. He's, he is, um, and I'm glad He is because there are results ultimately that I would like to have uh, in these areas that, that I'm either not getting or not getting to the extent and the degree that, um, that I would like to get. And, um, and so the problem's not on God's end. You do realize that, right? <laughs> if there's some issue uh, with me uh, walking in all that God has for me to walk in, it's not because God has withheld it from me. The Bible says, if he spared not his only son, how will he not freely give us all things? So it's being willing to grow and learn and things that, you know, we locked into. Um, here's a class. Here's a big, big example in my life, okay? We... We were raised in a denominational church that taught us the baptism of the Holy Spirit was not for people today. And they went so far as to even say that if you spoke in tongues, you were of the devil. And, and that's what we were taught for the first 11 plus years of, of, of my life. And of course, found out later that was bogus. I mean, that couldn't have been more wrong. Okay, uh, But again, you have to be willing um, with an open heart to, to hear what the scriptures say. Not what tradition says, not what organized religion says, not what your favorite denomination says, but, but what does God say? An open heart. And I know some people say, well, man, that's dangerous, Pastor Mark. It's Listen, if you, if you are humble before God and want to know and are being led by His Holy Spirit, there's nothing dangerous about it, okay? Well, what if I get too far out there? We'll come get you. Amen. If you, if you get too far out there, we'll, we'll reel you back in. Amen. Um, but there's something very, very important about... You know, how many of you, and I know the answer to this before I ask it, how many of you are convinced there's more than what you're experiencing right now? To the, yeah, see, we all know this. Okay, so, so how do we get from where we are right now to this more that we all know is, is there for us? Again, it's the Holy Spirit trying to lead us and guide us into the truth uh, that will, you know, enable us to walk in and experience uh, uh, these things. All right, so uh, same uh, Mark 4, 24, this is from the uh, Amplified. And he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. So I don't think I've said this yet about these classes, but let me, let me go ahead and, and just state it plainly if, if I've done nothing better than imply it yet. There's certainly the content of these classes, uh, and that's very important, and it's something that I take very uh, seriously, you know, and, and I want to make sure that what we do, each class is what the Holy Spirit would have us do. Um, but the, there's, a, there's an intangible about this class, and, and that's the endurance that it takes and the discipline that is developed in our lives by making more room for God than maybe we have made for Him in the past. That's no condemnation against anybody. Um, you know, I don't know what you were doing two years ago on a Wednesday at 5. Okay, maybe you were somewhere studying the scriptures with a bunch of folks, right? But perhaps not, okay? Even if you were going to be at church at 7 somewhere. 
And so there's something about, um, you know, when I know some of you change of schedule and that sort of thing, and so you're more tired uh, today than you were maybe even last Wednesday or this time yesterday. Um, but to push through that and, you know, to, uh, again, diligence is, is talking about when you have other options, <laughs> but yet you, you know, you stay true, you stay focused. Remember, um, character can only be developed in, in, in the tension of the moment. The only way to develop more loyalty in your life is to be loyal, and specifically to be loyal when you don't want to be. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The only way to build more endurance in your life is to endure when you want to quit. You can't go to the grocery store and buy a pound of endurance. You, you can't, you know, it's like, hey, could somebody, could somebody sell me, um, you know, half a pound of self-control here? Uh, I, need, I need some more of that. No, see, the, the only way you can develop that is, is in the tension of, you know, when you want to, you know, pound, you know, three Snicker bars and, and you, you get, you know, some broccoli instead or whatever, you know. Um, and so that's how we, you know, develop these things. And that's how we grow. So that's one of the, you know, intangibles about the, the class itself. It, it is the content. It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Word of God. But there's, it's also the uh, making a commitment, like we've said over and over again, discipleship requires an uncommon commitment. And we, and we make that commitment, and, and we follow through on it. And uh, listen, I'm not, and I don't want anybody to think, well, he's saying all this because I wasn't here last week. No, that, please, that's not what I'm saying. You know, it's, remember, 30 out of 36 classes, that's, I think that's a generous attendance policy. Uh, my nephew's in college right now. I don't know if your professors will let you miss six, but you know what I'm saying. Um, so that, that's not, I'm not saying that. Um, that's not, but the idea, again, is you know, developing th these things. And, and we see that there is a direct relationship between um, the measure of thought and study we give to the truth we hear um, as it relates to the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to us. Um, and, we, and we see this principle throughout Scripture, right? He says, give sparingly and you'll reap sparingly, but give bountifully and you'll reap bountifully. So if, you know, if a farmer has 20 acres of, of fertile ground, but he only plants two acres and lets the others go to weeds, well, he can't expect to get 20 acres of harvest. But if he diligently plants all 20 acres, then he's going to re receive harvest from all 20 acres. And so it's so much of our growth and development, you know, comes back to our willingness to cooperate with the Lord in that. And I'll show it to you in some later classes in, in Scripture, but the Bible's very clear about it. You, you can have been born again for 50 years and still be as a spiritual child, a spiritual baby. Um, you know, in, in Hebrews 5, he talks about a group of people who have been saved long enough that they should be leading and serving other people, but they still need somebody to fix them a bottle and feed them some milk. And so, you know, that's one of the, I guess, the things that I'm passionate about in the body of Christ is you know, as Paul, you know, said to the Colossians, you know, to present every person uh, mature, every person complete and sound uh, before God. Um, and and I'd, I want to see, uh, you know, people grow up into the things that God has for them to grow up into um, for a lot of reasons. One, because it's, it's, it glorifies Father, but that's where the sweet spot of life is. It, it's, it's when you you know, discover the purpose that you were given in Christ before time began, 
and roll up your sleeves and get about it, right, and, and do it. Um, that's where the fulfillment in life um, uh, is, is found. There, there can be uh, no meaning without context. We'll talk about that maybe as, as soon as tonight. There can be no meaning without context. Uh, you can make the Bible say anything you want to make it say by taking verses out of context. So context is what comes before, what comes after, you know, the, 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 the meaning of, of a particular passage of Scripture. Well, I've never met a person that didn't want to live a meaningful life. But we can't have a meaningful life without the proper context of life. And, and so those, again, all of these things are, um, I guess you could say, side effects or, or the effect of um, discipleship in our lives. Amen. So I just want to encourage you with that. And I, um, I know these are kind of two amplified, maybe not so much as the Passion Translation, but you know, these, these two verses, um, keep them before your eyes. Remind yourself of this. Um, if you're ever uh, feeling like uh, TV is more appealing to you than uh, 30 minutes in the Word, then remember that you know, I'm not, listen, I have a television in my house, I'm, a couple of them, I'm not, this, I'm not railing against TV, but, you know, there are other things sometimes that we put uh, in place of the, of the Word, um, and it's amazing, you know, when, you know, I'm not trying to split hairs here, I'm, obviously you can watch some kind of educational television, I'm not saying that, but, you know, return on investment, you know what I'm saying, uh, how, how much benefit long term are you going to get from you know, another series of Netflix or, um, or versus uh, spending some time with the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Amen. All right, so last week we looked at these, these different groups of people. And just real quick, we said there was the group who quit before they understood, right? Satan came and stole the Word, and he was able to steal the Word because they didn't understand it. And, and we've already established that we're going to hear things that we don't understand, but the, the difference is, are we going to quit before we understand? Are we going to keep pushing and, and keep searching and keep asking and keep praying and keep seeking um, until we understand? Jesus made a very powerful promise to us. He said, those who seek will find. Uh, those who knock, it will be opened. And those who ask, uh, it will be given. So keep knocking, keep asking, keep seeking. Again, that's that discipleship attitude that we talked about last week. Now, we see another group of people were the ones who quit before they became established. They got really excited about the things they were hearing, things that Jesus was teaching, and the difference that it was, you know, already making in their lives and their emotional makeup. Man, the Word of God, you know, it, it, it'll fix what ails you. I mean, it'll, you know, you start getting your mind on the thoughts from heaven and, and, and let those thoughts start producing emotions, generating emotions in your life. Uh, it, it'll make a difference, and it'll make a difference quickly. But we see that when pressure came from Satan... Thlipsis, uh, remember that word, um, they turn loose of the word that was producing results in their lives and they quit before they became established or before they put down roots according to the parable. Then there was that group who quit and never knew they did. It was that slow fade group, right, where other things grew up around the word of God and, and choked it out. And this is something that we all have to uh, guard against and be aware of in our lives and it's why it's very, very important that we all have accountability. Please don't think you'll ever outgrow accountability. The, the more you advance in the kingdom of God and the more you advance in the things that God has for you to be over, you're going to find out that he's, he's going to make sure you're under what you need to be under so that he can put you over who and what you're supposed to be over. And, um, and so this is where accountability, accountability can really help us 
um, you know, where other people see things in our lives that, that maybe we're blinded to. I like to ask the question, you know, who, who do you have in your life that you'll listen to when you're wrong and don't know it? Are you wrong and you can't see it? And we all need those people who love us. Nobody judging, nobody, you know, trying to get the moral high ground on us by looking down on us. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, about people who genuinely love us, who know us and who, who know some of our, uh, <laughs> our tendencies. We all kind of have those tendencies to, you know, get caught up in certain, maybe it's work for you, maybe it's play for you, maybe it's whatever, you know. Um, things that we start allowing into our lives that, that start to take away from what God's trying to do. But then that last group of people, and that's, I believe, the folks I'm talking to tonight, those who never quit, those who never quit. And, and so, again, it's an attitude, it's a commitment, it's a willingness to continue um, even after an interruption, even after, um, you know, we may have uh, tripped up and stumbled. Uh, to continue uh, to go forward in the things that God has for us. So let me give you a couple more verses that we didn't look at last week um, that relate to all of this. And that's first one is Matthew 6 and 22. <coughs> Excuse me, Matthew 6 and um, 22. If I have to cough again, I'll try to mute that microphone for those of you who are uh, listening, especially those of you who may be driving. I know you startle you with that cough again. Amen. All right. So Matthew 6 and 22, it says, The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And without breaking down all the Greek words and, and spending 20 minutes on this, what he's basically saying here is the difference between a singular focus, a singular vision, versus a fragmented focus or even like double vision. Um, if, if you've ever had some kind of issue with your eyes or whatever and, and you were seeing double or triple or, or, or what have you, uh, these are the words that, he's, that Jesus is, is playing off of here. Um, we know later uh, from Jesus' half-brother James that a double-minded person is unstable in all their ways. And this ties back into what Jesus is talking about here. It has to do with focus and our ability to focus on a single thing and, or as the world may say, put all your eggs in one basket, you know, so to speak. And it's that singular focus on, on what God has for us and, and what He is trying to show us and teach us that enables our entire body to be full of light. If our focus is fragmented and we're, and we're messed up in our priorities and so forth and so on, um, again, this is uh, going to make it very difficult for us to see and for Father to show us the things that He wants to show us. Um, some Old Testament versions of these, I'll give you two of those. Uh, Deuteronomy 4 and 29. Deuteronomy 4 and 29, it says, But from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. You will seek the Lord your God and you will find Him if you will seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. And then related to that, Jeremiah 29 and 13. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. So do you see how, like even the verses that we reviewed from last week, how the condition of our heart has so much to do, the attitude of our heart has so much to do with our ability to see things that we would have otherwise been blinded to, that we'd have otherwise never seen, never realized, never understood. Um, and, and there's something about, you know, the more you look away from the world and the more you look to God, the, the more you, uh, you know, empty yourselves of, of trusting, empty ourselves of trusting the things of the world and, and, 
and put our trust in, in God, how we begin to see things and understand things uh, and realize things, you know, how many different words do we need here, you know, that, that we've never seen, understood, or realized before. And um, I, I have a word for that, or better still, God has a word for that. It's called growth. Um, th- th- this is how we grow when we grow up into Jesus in, uh, in all things. Now, um, I thought we would be here before the end of last class, but this is, amen, um, where I want us to jump in tonight. And it has to do with the title of both last week's class and this week's class. And so let's go to, to uh, Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, praise God. I have a, um, a dear friend, in, uh, he and his wife, up in the Knoxville, Tennessee area. And, um, and he's just a good brother. And uh, uh, he's one of those brothers, he's very humble. It's one of those brothers, when he calls me, you know, the first words out of his mouth are, I'm sorry to bother you. Um, well, you know, sorry. And I'm like, man, would you please, please quit saying that. And I, finally I told him today, I said, listen. I said, when I see your name on my phone screen, it makes me smile from the inside. Amen. And um, you say, what does that got to do with anything right now, Pastor Mark? When I see so many of you in this room so interested in the things that God has for your life, it just does something for me. So thank you all again for uh, your diligence and your, and your faithfulness. And, and this right here, if I just had one thing to tell you that discipleship was about, and obviously from you know, the last three weeks and now um, 32 minutes in, three classes and, and, and a third, I guess. Um, if I just had one thing, though, to tell you that discipleship is about as opposed to discipleship is about a lot of things, um, th- this one would, would, it's right up in there with who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we find it in what is an otherwise fairly obscure Bible verse, but we're going to break it down. Let's just look at the verse for face value, uh, and then we'll dig into it. Um, Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, he says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. Now, this obviously is inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, okay? Um, Another apostle who happens to, I guess, if I have a favorite apostle, it's the Apostle John. And the Apostle John was like the elder statesman of the church. Um, if, if you look at his history, when everybody else ran the night Jesus was arrested, John didn't. Um, when you know, Jesus was hanging on the cross, John was standing there. And it wasn't any of his half-brothers or anybody else that was close to Jesus. It was John that Jesus gave the assignment to um, as far as caring for his mother. Uh, you, again, we would have to have been raised in that culture to understand what kind of compliment um, that was and, and how much of an honor uh, Jesus bestowed upon John by trusting the care of his mother and his mother's future in, in the John's hands. And um, so if, you, if you've read uh, especially the uh, first, second, and third John, you know that, that John used this expression a lot, my little children, my little children, my little children. And and, and he was like a, a father, so to speak, you know, to so many people and looked at, you know, in, in that way. And, and yet here we see Paul, who didn't normally use that expression, but he's using it here, or at least the Holy Spirit through him is using it here, because he's trying to emphasize that these folks are, they're born again, but they're still very immature, okay? 
Um, they're born again, but we see that a lot of them had, had come out of a lot of the... I think you probably know this, but let me make sure you do, okay? Galatia is a place, and it's a place where the Apostle Paul went and preached the gospel for the first time, and a bunch of folks got saved, and he started a church, and he pastored the church, and then he put a pastor in that church, and then he went on and did it again somewhere else. And so these different epistles, means letters, are letters that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to the church at Galatia. So that's why we call it the book of Galatians, okay? And we see that some of the issues that the church at Galatia was having was, you know, they, they got born again because they realized as former uh, practicers of Judaism, Jewish faith, that they couldn't live up to the law. But now that they've gotten saved, they thought, okay, we can take it from here. And Paul says things like, you know, what makes you think you can finish in the flesh, you know, what can only be started in the Spirit? And, and there's a lot of things that he says to them along those lines. But then when he comes to this one right here, he says, My little children, what he's, he's saying a few things here. Let me just read the whole verse again. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Okay. So first of all, when he says, my little children, he's saying a couple of things. He's saying, first of all, that you you still got some growing to do. Okay. But he's also um, expressing a responsibility for them by saying, my little children, because he was the one who led the majority of these people to the Lord. He was the one who went and, and preached to them. Obviously, when we say he didn't give birth to them, the Holy Spirit and the Word of God gave birth to them. But as far as, you know, being born again men and women, the Apostle Paul was the one that the Holy Spirit used to see these people receive this gift of salvation. And so he's expressing then uh, a felt responsibility Okay, so when he says, for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you, if he's laboring in birth again, right, then that should tell us what? That he has previously labored uh, in birth, okay? And, and, and so he's not, just hear me out now, he's not saying, um, I'm laboring in birth for you to be saved again. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I labored the first time among you so that you would be born again. Now I continue to labor among you to see Christ formed in you, to see Christ formed in you. Now let's go back to some of the things we've learned about discipleship. Discipleship is about Jesus assimilating himself into people where, where they actually live a lifestyle that reflects uh, his love, his nature, his character, um, his wisdom. Uh, and so what Paul is talking about here, this labor among them, again, is discipleship. But the literal translation of Christ formed in you would be for the inward reality of Christ in them to become an outward expression of life. And so here, here is um, one of my uh, all-time favorite statements that the Holy Spirit gave me, okay? Until the inward realities of the new birth become an outward expression of life. The inward realities of the new birth become an outward expression of life. I'm going to say that another time or two, okay? Until the inward realities of the new birth. What does that mean? Inward realities. Well, remember, you have an inward man and an outward man. You are a three-dimensional being. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. Your spirit and your soul are the inward part of you. Your body is the outward part of you. And we see that this inward part, specifically your spirit, is the part of you that was born again 
Amen. And this is the part of you that became a new creation in Christ Jesus. This is the part of you, according to Hebrews 10, 14, that has been perfected forever. Now, how about that right there? Okay. And that's the truth. Okay. So one of, and, and I, matter of fact, this is one of the points in the sermon tonight. Okay. And I'll share it with you. And that is perfected forever is the summation of all new birth realities. And when he says you've been perfected forever, he's literally saying that you're complete, you're fulfilled, you've reached your intended goal. I mean, that word perfected means a lot of things, okay? But he's not talking about your body being perfected forever. He's not talking about your, your soul, which is your mind, emotions, and will being perfected forever. He's talking about that born-again spirit that's, that's inside of you, okay? And the Bible has a lot to say about that born-again spirit and what's true about your born-again spirit right now. And so when we say new birth realities, come on now, don't, I, I know I'm kind of rushing through this, but, but when we talk about new birth realities, and we'll get into a lot of those in the days ahead, okay? When we talk about new birth realities, we're talking about everything that's true about you right now because you've been born a second time of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. Things like righteousness, things like freedom, thing, things like by His stripes you were healed, okay? So <clears throat> all of these things are realities of the new birth, but they're, they're at the deepest level of your existence. They're, they are deep inside of you. So what Paul is saying here is that he continues to labor among these people until the inward realities of the new birth become an outward expression of life. And, and so that, I guess, is, you know, Jesus did so much for us. He paid such a high price for us to be able to have and experience and enjoy and express um, all of these good things that, that now exist in us because we've been born again. And, and one of the questions, and, I, and I, I've kind of streamlined it from last Wednesday night's sermon, and it just, sometimes it works out this way. I mean, I, you know, sometimes we're talking about completely different things in the midweek service on Wednesday at 7 o'clock than we are in here, but it just so happens that these things are kind of, you know, intersecting one another right now. But, but you know, when we talk about these inward realities of the new birth, the Bible says in, in Philemon uh, that we should acknowledge every good thing that is in you in Christ Jesus. Every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus, we have to acknowledge it. And one of the questions that um, I've been kind of mulling over in, in my heart and mind is, you know, the average born-again person, how many of those good things has the average born-again saved person acknowledged the, the good things that's in them? And I'm just telling you, I've been around a lot of born-again people for a long time. And, um, <laughs> and I think we're, we're missing the boat in, in these areas, okay? So, you know, I want to see people experience, enjoy, and outwardly express all the things that are true about them inwardly now. Um, these things are your birthright, so to speak. Freedom in Christ, freedom from sin is your birthright. Amen. You may have been a slave to sin before you were born again, but when you were born again, you have been made free from sin. And if the Son makes you free, you shall be free in your performed action. You see, He makes you free. That's the new birth reality. If He makes you free, you shall be free in your performed action. I know we've done this already. Um, come and I'll give, learn, and you'll find. So Paul is speaking of the discipleship process um, so that these inward realities of the new birth can and will become outward expressions of life for uh, these men and women. And, and this to me is one of the single most important 
aspects of our um, uh, discipleship process. Uh, I've said this a time or two already, just to remind you again, it's an improper understanding of discipleship to think of it as our becoming something that we're not already. This is not about becoming you know, righteous because you're not righteous. The Bible doesn't tell you to become righteous. The only way to be made righteous is to be born again and, and come out the other side of the new birth experience, a righteous man or woman. So what does the Bible say to born again people? It doesn't say be righteous. It says awake to righteousness. Or acknowledge that you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Acknowledge that whom the Son makes free shall be free in their performed actions. See, so it, it, you've got to acknowledge these things. You've got to start coming to terms with these things, embracing these things, be, believing, realizing these things are um, are true about you. And 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 this is this is where all this, you know, Jesus said, "I've come that you might have life, and that you might have it in overflowing abundance." You know, the life and nature of God in overflowing abundance without end. Anybody get saved based upon eternal life promise? You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, bring that on. You know, who wants to go to hell? You know, I mean, let's, let's, let's do this, right? And then, you know, a few weeks, few months, whatever, into our, you know, salvation experience, we're like, when's that whole abundant part going to kick in? You know, wh wh where is all that stuff, right? Well, come and I'll give, learn, and, and, and you'll find. And so the, the more we learn, the more our minds are renewed, the more we begin to understand and see ourselves in light of these new birth realities, acknowledge these things, believe these things, confess these things, the more we begin to walk in and experience, enjoy, and express these things in our um, outward expression of life. And so there's more. We're going to get into spirit, soul, and body. We'll spend some classes on that. But, but just you know, as we talk about what discipleship is and what it's all about, that is such a huge, huge part of this. Now, here is the next point, okay? Discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Now, I could probably, you know, get some help with Grammarly or Pro Writing Aid or something and figure out a better way of saying that. Um, but what it lacks in uh, flow and, and, and grammar <laughs> It, it makes up for in truth, okay? So we've talked about discipleship in a, in a lot of different ways. And so now I want you to begin to think of it as a bridge. It's a bridge, okay? And so here we are, point A, we're born again, we're saved. How do we get from being born again and saved into the fulfillment of our God-given uh, destiny and purpose in life, okay? Discipleship is the bridge that carries us from the salvation experience into fulfilling our purpose and God-given destiny, okay? And as I've already mentioned in some of the opening comments, th this is the sweet spot of life, okay? When we were all created by God for a purpose, and when we are fulfilling that purpose, uh, we will be fulfilled, we will uh, have, again, that, that meaningful life, for lack of a, of a more complex way of communicating it, um, when we understand what our life is supposed to mean and, and are actively involved in that. So let's talk a little bit about this uh, purpose and this concept of a God-given destiny. And I want to do it, first of all, by showing this to you from heaven's perspective, um, the Bible says that God has forgiven you for His sake. And I know sometimes we, we tend to think of 
what salvation and being forgiven for our sins and our sins being taken away, we tend to think of it from our perspective and for what it means to us and how it's helped us and what benefit we gain from this. And certainly there's lots the Bible has to say about that. But we see in multiple places where the Bible says God has forgiven you for His sake. Why? What? His sake? What, is, what in the world is that all about? Well, see, our sin separated us from Him, and He loves us. And so He went through all that He went through and did all that He did to get sin out of the picture so He could do what He's always wanted to do, and that's treat me and you like our sin never happened. And, and so now that the sin problem has a solution, uh, for everyone who receives that solution to their sin problem and, and it's taken away, we are now back in a position to do what God's called us to do and, and fulfill the purpose and destiny for which we have been created. So let's begin. And it's going to take me just a minute to, to, to build this. There's a few different verses we're going to look at in Matthew. Um, but again, keep in mind, we're looking at this first from, from heaven's perspective. And so let's go to Matthew chapter 9 and verse, we'll begin at verse 35. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then we see in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, And when he called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. All right, now, if, you, um, if you're not familiar with this, I'll try to introduce it to you uh, easily and gently and slowly, all right? But we see that Jesus went about preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and healing the sick, okay? Um, and, and, and we see that he did this uh, everywhere he went. And at the end of John's gospel, um, he says that if every person that Jesus ministered to and every person he healed and every miracle he performed on this earth as a man, if it were all to be written down, there'd not be room enough to contain the volumes. So what we have recorded in the four Gospels is a very um, small sample of, of what Jesus did in, in way of miracles and healings and delivering people and, and so forth and so on. Okay, But notice that in the very early stages of Jesus' ministry, he is talking to his disciples about a need for more people to be able to go and do what he's doing, okay? And that's not just to go, obviously go and preach, go and tell, go and teach. These things are, are critically important, but that's, that's not the only thing that he sent the disciples out to do. We see that he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now, we're going to we'll get into this, in, and it's going to be a few weeks, but I want to mention it now. I'm not going to go into great detail on this. But when, when Jesus says we need more help because there are a lot of people who need help and there's not enough people to help them, okay, 
it kind of blows this idea out of the water that God's going to help whoever needs to be helped, you know, whether we do anything or not. And, and it's, it's very simple. It's, it, doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't require a Ph.D. in theology to understand that the more people you have helping, the more people can be helped. If you've got 15 people helping, then those 15 people can only do so much. If you've got 150 people helping, well, you can get a lot more done with 150 than you can 15. It's, it's, again, and that's the point that Jesus is making. And he's asking his disciples to pray for more laborers. Now, Jesus, these guys are willing to do, you know, whatever it is that Jesus asked them to do. I mean, they've walked away from businesses and, and, and all of this, okay? But Jesus is, if I could just give you a perspective on this, maybe that you see, maybe that you don't. When, by him asking them to pray for more laborers, he's in essence saying, look, I know you guys are willing to help right now, but if every one of you go and, and, and help, it's still not enough. We need more, okay? And so we see that he sent them forth to do the same things that he was doing. Can I tell you why? It's because that's what God wants to see happening in people's lives. He wants to see the captive set free. He, wants, he still does. Are you hearing me? He still does. He still wants to see hurting people helped. Amen. Amen. Now, and I think it's interesting. I think there is some correlation here. I believe that as the disciples begin to pray that, God put within them a heart. Okay? Because, you know, there's a point when he says to the disciples, he says, look, lift up your eyes and look. In other words, they were seeing the same people Jesus was seeing, but they weren't seeing them the same way. Jesus was seeing them. Are you, are you following what I'm saying here? And, and as they begin to pray about this and as they begin you know, to, to get more involved in this, um, we see that their hearts were moved with compassion the way Jesus' heart was moved with compassion for other people. Now, watch the prog progression here. Let's swap over to Luke now. And it just so happens to line up. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Luke chapter 10, verse 1. Amen. And it says, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. All right. So notice now what's happening. We've gone from Jesus doing these things, one person. And by the way, on this earth as a man, he could not be everywhere present like the Holy Spirit can be. So if he's, if he's in um, Bethany and he's needed in you know, some other city, well, he's going to have to travel over there. Um, and so he is uh, multiplying uh, his efforts. So now we've got Jesus plus 12, and that worked out really well. And so now... We've got 70 more. So if you're doing the math at home, 70 plus 12 is 82 plus Jesus, that makes 83. So he appointed 70 others also. He sent them uh, two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. Let's skip down to verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. 
And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All right, now, let's comment just briefly. These folks were just in awe that they were casting out demons and the, and, and the demons were obeying them. <clears throat> and, you know, Jesus corrected them there. He said, that's not something you should be rejoicing over, but you should instead rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Well, if, if you're not a football fan or an Alabama fan, just bear with me for a minute, okay? If, um, if you were on one of Bear Bryant's teams and you uh, cut a fool, that was before a lot of the, the rules against excessive celebration and all that, you know. Um, if, if you uh, cut a fool in the end zone after scoring a touchdown, he was more than likely, even if you were the best player on the team, going to bench you for a little while, maybe the rest of the game. Because his rule was simple. If you score a touchdown, politely hand the ball back to the referee and then return to the sidelines with your teammate. He said, I want you to act like you've been to the end zone before and that you will be back soon. Okay. In other words, carrying on like this is the greatest thing we've ever done, he wanted them to have an attitude that we score touchdowns and we do it all the time. Are you following what I'm saying? All right, now, so what does this have to do with this story from, from Scripture? Well, they're all excited because demons are subject to them, and they don't even realize they're embarrassing themselves because demons are supposed to be subject to them. You know, they're celebrating this like it's some great victory, and they're like, Jesus is like, listen, they, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, okay? I mean, fallen devil, fallen man, remember um, what God says to Cain when he's contemplating, he's being tempted to murder his brother, um, he says, Satan is, uh, he's, first of all, he said, sin is at the door, but you should rule over him. No, meaning what? Satan is, is there trying to test you and tempt you. But notice he's saying that a fallen man should still rule over a, a fallen devil, a fallen angel. Um, and so, are you still with me? Now, the next part in this is, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. When he says he's hidden them from the wise and prudent, you, you had folks that, you know, studied, you know, Pharisees and religious leaders, doctors of the law, people that were so educated and prominent and all this other stuff. We gather from what Jesus is saying is that these... That wasn't this group of 70. These were what we might call common people. Um, it was rare for anybody to be educated or highly educated in their day. And so the, probably pretty good chance that none of these people were educated. Um, maybe none of them could even read or write. Um, and yet they were used so mightily and so powerfully by God. Now, I'm pointing all this out to you because there's something here that's hidden in the translation that I want to make sure you see. Verse 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit. Okay, 
That sounds innocent enough until you look at what it means to rejoice in the Spirit. And it literally means that he danced, that he jumped in the air and spun around. Okay, I mean, Jesus is like, he is jumping in the air and spinning and landing on the feet, uh, back on his feet. Okay, he, he is, um, anybody ever heard dancing a jig? I mean, Jesus is breaking it down here. He is, so you read rejoiced in the spirit and you think he just kind of sitting there with a pleasant look on his face. No, he is carrying on almost uncontrollably, okay, uh, in his excitement, in his exuberance. Why? I think he is so excited because for the first time since Adam fell, you've got a group of common people. Obviously, you had specially anointed, appointed prophets in the Old Testament, but you just got a group of 70 folks that are absolutely dominating darkness. Come on now. You got 70 people who are bringing healing and deliverance and hope and help and love and wisdom from God the Father to humankind. And you see, remember now, I wanted you to see heaven's perspective on this. I wanted you to see how this moved the heart of God, how this moved the heart of Jesus for a group of men and women to go and minister like this and, and, and not just, listen, you're going to hear me say this a few times, but I want to make sure I say it very clear and very plain, all right? Any act of service that is done for God and His kingdom is valuable, it's precious, it's important, it's noted, it's rewarded, not by any means trying to belittle or diminish any of that, okay? And to be honest with you, you get in agreement with me. We, we need help here at Heritage, just like I'm sure a lot of churches uh, need uh, people who are willing to help and volunteer and, and, and do whatever, okay? And so very, very thankful, don't misunderstand me, very, very thankful for that, and so is, so is God the Father. But we have so lowered the bar and standard for what ministry is and looks like in the body of Christ today that we've lost sight of these kinds of, of ministry experiences and ministry gifts. And, and Jesus wasn't just jumping in the air and spinning around because a couple of disciples helped a lady carry her groceries you know, from her chariot into her house. He is rejoicing because children who were sick were healed People who couldn't walk were walking now. People who couldn't hear were hearing again. People who couldn't see were seeing again. People who were possessed by demons were no longer bound and possessed by those demons. And it wasn't Jesus in the flesh going and doing these things. It was His disciples who were going and doing these things. Are you seeing this? And I want, I want you to see because you're just like, I wonder if, I wonder if God would, would ever use me like that. Are you kidding? Do you see how he responded when people allowed themselves to be used like this by God in ministering to other people. Okay, now we're you know, working our way through sections and segments and parts and pieces of all this. Here is, um, I guess, what we've been building up to, okay, for these first three semi classes now in the class four. And it's a very, very important point. Every born-again believer... Every born-again believer has been called to do the work of the ministry. Every born-again believer has been called to do the work 
of the ministry. This is extremely, extremely important that we understand this. And Satan has worked really, really hard to keep this truth from the body of Christ. He doesn't want people in the body of Christ to understand that they have been called by God to do the work of the ministry. What is the uh, common belief? The common belief is that the pastor is to do the work of the ministry or the evangelist is to do the work of the ministry or the missionary, the apostle, the prophet, that one of the men or women who occupies one of those five ministry offices, uh, executive branch or what have you, it's called different things, okay, that somehow those are the people. They have their name on a church van. They have their, their name on a, on a door of, an, of a church office or something along those lines. That those are the people who've been called to do the work of the ministry and their assignment is to minister to everybody else in the body of Christ, to, to serve and to care for and so forth and so on. Well, there is some accuracy to that in the sense that I am called to serve um, the body of Christ. I am called to minister to uh, the body of Christ. One of the uh, assignments that's upon my life is, is that of a teacher and to teach uh, men and women uh, from the Word of God, to read the verse and make the sense and help people connect with the Word of God and, and the Holy Spirit in a meaningful, life-changing way. Okay, But if we go to um, Ephesians 4, um, and, and here we see it very clearly, Ephesians 4 and verse 11 and 12. Ephesians 4, I see some of you turning there, so I'll give you a minute. Amen. Ephesians 4, verse 11 and 12. And he himself, and the he himself here, notice capital H's on he and himself, it's referring to Jesus. And he himself gave some, so if he gave some, it's not, not all, but some, to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Some pastors and teachers. Now, what you have here, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, if you've ever heard the expression five-fold ministry, okay, that's, that's five different ministry offices. I'm not trying to offend anybody or split a hair here, but I personally believe that there's four because I believe pastor-teacher is, is um, a, a combination office, okay. Um, <clears throat> pastors are to teach, okay. Um, and... So anyway, that, you say, well, does that mean you, can't, you can be a teacher and not a pastor? So that's where I guess you know, 4.75 offices. Anyway, I'm, just, I'm trying to leave all that alone. There's no need to go down that road, okay? Um, but what we see, of course, is that, and there's other places in Romans and what have you, where the question is asked, you know, you know like why is one person gifted in this area when another person is not? And, and again, that's... Uh, God's doings, okay, <laughs> and, uh, and it's choices that he made uh, for reasons that he understands. And um, I, I know that um, I came out of my mother's womb um, to, to, to pastor and to teach and, and to lead God's people, to serve God's people. Um, one of the ways, some of you heard me say this before, one of the ways that I, I know that it was something that I was to do with my life is that I initially did not want to do it. I had no interest in doing it. I wanted to be a medical doctor, did not want to be uh, a preacher, pastor, teacher. 
Um, but um, anyway, <laughs> praise God, here we are. And I couldn't be more ecstatic about the opportunity uh, to do it, okay? Um, but if you notice, these five ministry offices, okay, there's a comma at the end of verse uh, number 11, and it says that these offices have been given for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, and then comma, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we'll, we'll stop right here. Let's start with that last one. Edifying uh, means to build up, to build up the body of Christ. And, and, and there's two distinct ways the body of Christ is built up. It's by bringing new people into the body of Christ through the avenue of salvation, but then strengthening those men and women once they're in the body of Christ uh, by teaching them and serving them and discipling them, okay? So to build up edifying of the body of Christ. But let's go to that, that first statement of verse number 12, equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. So what he's saying here is that the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, men and women who occupy those five ministry offices are given the assignment of equipping others in the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry, for the work of the ministry. And as part of what I am called to do is equip you to do what you're called by God to do. Are you seeing this? Again, this is, there's um, two things that I am, in Jesus' name, I'm over, I don't, I don't struggle with it anymore, but, but when I talk about uh, the importance of a pastor, and when I talk about the importance of tithes and offerings, uh, I think sometimes, you know, it, it's like, you know, man, this, this, are people thinking this is self-serving, okay, and it's, I'm only here to help you, it's the only agenda I have, okay, is, is to help you, but, um, you know, one of the things that Satan has been successful in is this idea that the workforce of the kingdom, right, the majority of the members of God's kingdom um, are not supposed to be involved in ministry and that it's only the ones who are actually supposed to be equipping the others to do the work of the ministry are the ones who should be doing the work of the ministry. And as we've already established, right, um, the more people we have doing the work of the ministry, the more ministry uh, is going uh, to get done. Amen or oh me, are you still with me? All right, so let's, um, let's look again a little closer at this. Luke chapter 4, and we'll begin at verse number 16. <clears throat> Luke 4 and 16. It says, um, it says this, So he, speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah, and when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, what do we have here? I don't want to sound political when I say this, but if, if you're familiar with a, especially like a, a candidate for the presidency of our nation, that those candidates run on a platform, and, and their platform is, you know, basically what they say, each, each point 
uh, is a plank in the platform that they're standing on and running uh, on uh, is something that they're there to do and they're going to do if you elect them or, or, or vote for them to be in office. And so I want you to think of, of this prophecy from Isaiah that Jesus uh, read and then said, uh, today this is fulfilled uh, before you, um, as the ministry platform of Jesus. In other words, this is what Jesus came to this earth to do. These are the key areas of ministry that Jesus operated and functioned in. And it's also the key areas of ministry that his inner circle was sent forth to operate and minister in. It was also the key areas of the next 70 that he sent out for them to operate and minister in. And then we're going to see at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, when he sends folks out to minister, he references some of these same identical things. Okay, so this is the ministry platform of Jesus. It, it, it's not, um, how do I say this? We could say that it was the ministry platform of Jesus, um, but that would leave it in a past tense place, right? <laughs> this is not past tense. This is not something God used to do. This is not something he used to be interested in. This is not something that he used, you know, used to want to see happen. It's, it's something that he still is interested in and still wants to use people. Come on now. He wants to... I get, I get frustrated, and I, listen to me, please. People who think the Christian life is boring, they're not doing it right. They don't understand what it's about. They don't understand what it is that God is, has enabled us and called us and equipped us and anointed us and empowered us to do in, this, in the earth. And we see that people are so hungry for the supernatural. People are so hungry for, for, for something beyond their, uh, you know, some otherworldly advantage. I heard, I heard it described this way, okay? Uh, you know, the, the NBA does their, uh, their draft a little bit different from the NFL. And, and if you're not familiar with this, in the NFL, the, the team that was worst the prior season gets first pick for the next season in, in the draft. NBA does it by lottery. You know, they, they draw numbers. So, and it's happened before. One team could actually, you know, have a really, really good team and then win the lottery and get the first pick for the next season, the best player coming out of college the next season, right? And, and what we found out is those uh, team owners and, and those team presidents and, and, and very, very wealthy men, very educated, intelligent men, um, almost without fail, almost without fail, every one of them on draft lottery day has some type of lucky charm in their pocket, their, their, their lucky socks, the, their, you know, whatever, okay? It's the, 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 what are they, why are, what is that all about, right? It's, it's because they're looking for something beyond themselves for an advantage. They're looking for, for something that they can't control, right, to, to help them and to give them some kind of favor when it comes to, uh, you know, the names that are being drawn uh, or numbers or whatever, however they do that uh, on, on lottery day. Now, again, I'm just trying to show you this world is looking for some form of, of supernatural advantage, some form of, of supernatural impact or difference or what have you. And, and, and this is what we've been called to do. This is what we've been born again for. This is why the Holy Spirit is in us and Christ is in us to equip us and enable us, right, to do these things. I'm getting ahead of myself, but the Bible's very clear about it. The, the, the Bible says that those who believe because the original group of disciples will go and preach, and that's you and me, he said, we will lay our hands on the sick and the sick will recover. Amen. See, now listen, watch this. Okay, Acknowledge every good thing that's in you. 
in Christ Jesus. Every, acknowledge every good thing that's in you in Christ Jesus. Let me tell you one of the good things that's in you because you're in Christ Jesus. It's the ability to lay your hands on somebody who's sick and the Lord heal them. Is, it that, is that interest to anybody in here? Does that not sound like something really cool and fun to do? You see what I'm saying? So, see, this is what I mean. You know, the devil tries to paint the Christian life as the most dull, dry, boring, life-draining. And it's, again, you don't know. You're not doing it right. If you're not enjoying it, you're not doing it right, okay? It's exciting. It's glorious. It's wonderful. And so this is the ministry platform of Jesus. And we are the body of Christ. Amen? We are His body in the earth. And, and we are the ones who, who are now anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit to go and do these same things among people. All right, 1 John 3, 8. Let me, let me run through a few more of these. Amen? 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. Praise God. I've got about 30 minutes left. Can you all hang in here? You get anything out of this? Who can get stirred up, right? Okay, amen. So it says this, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested. That he might do what? That he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might destroy the works of the devil. So think about it now for a moment, okay? Um, Jesus is perfect theology. That's one of my favorite Bill Johnson quotes. Theology is the study of God. And, And if you really want to study God, study the life of Jesus. Because Jesus has thoroughly and perfectly declared God the Father on the earth living among us in human form. Jesus is perfect theology. And so we see that when Jesus would uh, heal someone, for example, that was born blind, he's not destroying a work of God. He's destroying a work of the devil. He's, he's undoing. By the way, that word destroy means to undo, dissolve, or to make like it never happened. Right? So all these things that the devil has worked so hard to pull off in people's lives, Jesus is going around just reversing it, undoing it. And leaving people in a position like it never happened. This man uh, possessed with a legion of demons. They couldn't even keep clothes on him. They couldn't. They couldn't. They. He, he was. He, they couldn't even chain him up. I mean, he was a menace, right? People were scared of him. Children were scared of him. He hollered and howled and screamed. He was tormented. Cut himself. Couldn't get any peace. And nobody within a ten mile radius could get any peace. Right? Jesus comes, and 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 Jesus reverses all of that. And when he leaves, he's clothed in his right mind and has been sent into, into, into the ministry to go do the works. Amen. Are you seeing this? Okay. So um, this leads us into a very important point. Jesus was destroying the devil's works, not God's. See, I've heard so many bogus sermons over the years about how God sent these storms, you know, the storms of life, and God sent the storms. What did Jesus do when storms threatened him and his disciples? He stood up in the bow of the boat and he rebuked the storm. He told it to shut up, be still, lay down, be quiet, and hush, and do it now. And then after Jesus gave the example, right, he's asleep expecting them to follow the example that they learned from him the last time, right? But they they didn't do that, and Jesus rebuked them for it. Oh, you have little faith. Where's your faith? I showed you what to do. I showed you how to handle this. In other words, Jesus... You know, you, you, um, you watch these um, st- stunt men and women, you know, do these different things, and, and they always give you this, this disclaimer, right? Do, they look right into the camera. Somebody really serious. Do not try this at home, you know. It's like, don't, <laughs> it's like okay, you, you, when I was younger, you might have had to worry about that, but I'm not going to try that at home now, okay? But Jesus never said, don't try this at home, right? He's like, try this at home. Go do this. 
Here, get you a partner and go to that village over there. And anybody you find over there that needs help, you help them. Anybody you find over there that's sick, you lay hands on them and heal them. Right? This, 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 is, what, this is how Jesus operated in these things. Okay? Destroying the works of the devil. Do you see why the devil never wants us to understand this? Do you realize that if those storms that threatened Jesus and his disciples had been from God, Jesus would have been guilty of rebuking his father? See, we don't ever think about that. We think, well, you know, is God just controlling everything? No, no, no. Jesus let us know very clearly that Satan was the prince of the power of the air. Satan was the prince of this world. Satan was the ruler of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4 says Satan's the God of this world. And Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Here it says he was destroying the works of the devil. Okay? Now, here is, um, here, this is a strong one. Okay? And, um, and, but let's look at it anyway, okay? John 14 and 12. John 14 and 12. Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father. Wow. Now, when Jesus says, most assuredly, and that's the New King James Version. The King James Version may read something like, verily, verily. And, and it's one of the reasons I like the New King James Version because it just breaks some of that down just one level deeper of, of, of uh, translation. When Jesus says most assuredly, and he says that a lot, okay? When Jesus says most assuredly, what he's, what he's meaning by most assuredly is basically brace yourself because I'm about to say something to you that's going to sound so extreme that it's going to... You know, your initial thought is, no way. Yes, it can't be. All right. So he, he's like, most assuredly, I'm fixing to say something to you that's going to sound unbelievable. I'm going to say something to you that's going to sound so outlandish that there's no way it could be true. But I'm telling you, it's true. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, anybody in this room believe in him? I believe in him, right? He who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. He will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. All right? Let's keep going here. John chapter 17 and verse 18. Jesus praying to his Father. He says, Father, as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Well, let's think about what he's saying there for a minute. As you, in the same way that you sent me, for the same purposes that you sent me, with the same equipment that you, you equipped me with. Uh, you know, for the same reasons that you sent me, the, the same purposes that you sent me to do the same things that, that you sent me to do. I'm now sending them to, to do this. The mission hasn't changed. It's just we got more potential frontline workers now than we've ever had in human history. That ought to get us excited right there, okay? All right, now, let me show you again. Here it is again, John chapter 20, verse 21. So Jesus said to them again. So if he said it again, this means it's something he has said uh, at least once before, and we, I believe many times before. Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, here's the big one, the Great Commission. Mark chapter 16, verses 15 through 18. And this, of course, like John 20, this is after Jesus has, you know, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so he was on the earth uh, 40 days. 
um, think approximately six weeks. Six, six weeks is 42 days, okay? So he was here a good while. We, you know, we had this idea that Jesus got raised from the dead and said hi and bye and then was out of here. No, he was, he was on the earth uh, for 40 days and was seen by all kinds of people, all kinds of different times. And at one point, he uh, was seen by more than 500 people at, at a larger gathering. And the Apostle Paul said, look, and a lot of those folks who saw him, eyewitness testimony, are still alive today when he was talking about this some uh, years later to uh, the Corinthian church. Right? So he's now about to return to the Father, and so he gives them this commission. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues, and they will take up serpents. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Now let me tell you what, let, let me tell you what uh, I didn't put that last part up there, did I? Let's get back over here. And they will... There we go. They will take up servants, and if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and the sick will recover. This is Jesus speaking here. All right, this, this is not something that somebody made up or came up with or tried to extrapolate out of, you know, taking six scriptures out of context. This, this is Jesus. He did this all through his earthly ministry. He uh, commissioned and enabled and empowered other people all throughout his earthly ministry to do this. We even see in, in one case, and I, man, I want to meet these folks one day in heaven. Um, you know, we don't even know who they are. They're just out there casting out demons in Jesus' name, and the disciples come to tell on them, right? Jesus, we've got to put a stop to this. There's folks over here in this other city, and they, you know, they just take this ball and run with it and act like there's something big and casting out demons in your name. And, and you know, we don't, we don't control, they're not on our committees and blah, blah. And Jesus is like, hey, man, way to go, guys. If they're not, for, if they're not against us, they're for us. So we even, we even see, like, there, there are people who, are, who are, are, you know, getting in on this, so to speak, that we don't even have a record of in the, in the Scriptures. See, so you can't. I mean, you, when people start believing and seeing, and by the way, he says these signs will follow. Now, signs and miracles, you can see these words translated interchangeably. I used to like miracles better than signs, but now that I understand what a sign is, I like them both. But the idea behind a sign is a sign is, an, is something outward that's pointing to an inward reality. So outward expressions uh, of inward realities. When, when Jesus... Um, would perform a miracle and, and it would be referred to as a sign, right? What, what is it doing? It's signifying, sign signifying uh, something that's in him that he has, right? That's not readily visible, okay, but it's producing results. Amen. An outward expression of an inward reality. Now, let's, let's look at this really careful, um, really carefully, okay? Um, let me get it back over here. Some of these, uh, I used to like to have to tap them and show them one at a time, but I've kind of gotten over that already. But here we are. And he said to them, go into all the world. So these are the people who are standing there, right? So it would be like this, okay? Let, I, I will, in, in this uh, demonstration, I will play the part of Jesus, okay? And you play the part of all the folks that he's talking to. 
And, and so, you know, so I'm saying to you as Jesus, listen, y'all go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. And those who do not believe will be condemned. Okay? All right? And then I'm saying this so that you will understand it. Okay? And these signs will follow those who believe. See, they, they already knew that those signs would follow them because those signs have been following them for years now. He, he didn't have to. You see, you see, Jesus didn't say, and by the way, guys, um, you know, if you come across a devil, cast it out. No, they've already been casting out devils. If you come across somebody that's sick, lay your hands on them and, and they'll be healed. They've already been doing that. Okay? So the very thing that um, denominational religion is trying to tell us is what Jesus foresaw and, and, is, and is trying to get out ahead of. And that is that the miracles will cease with the original disciples. That's what a lot of denominations believe. That, that the, the miracles were only for that first group. But, but again, Jesus is like, listen, you go and preach. And people who believe are going to be saved. And let me tell you what's going to happen with those who believe. And these signs will follow those who believe. Because they preached. All right, so let's go back to it. I'm Jesus, all right? Okay. Joel, will you go preach? And anybody that gets saved because you preached, those people then will go and lay hands on the sick and the sick recover. Those people speak with new tongues. Those people will cast out devils. Are you seeing that, right? Now, we, you know, we, we have all, all these genealogies. You understand genealogies? All the, you know, face, tracing the family trees of all these people in, in the scriptures, okay? But then when we jump to the New Testament, we don't even know who Paul's daddy was. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, uh, you know, because what we see in the New Testament is that there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither male nor female, there's neither bond nor free. We're all one in Christ. We've been born into Christ. We've been baptized in Christ. We've put on Christ. We have, a, we have that spiritual heritage, if you will, right? And that's what matters and what is most important in the New Testament. But... If I'm wrong on this, I'll apologize, but I don't, I don't think I'm going to be, okay? Um, I believe in heaven one day, you'll be able to trace what I call your spiritual family tree. And, and let me tell you what I mean by that, okay? The pastor who preached the gospel to me when I was born again, okay? So if you're going from me backwards, okay, then who preached the gospel shared the message with him so that he could be born again and who shared it with that person 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 and you can trace that all the way back to one of these original disciples that was there with Jesus that day, right? They preached to people who 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 eventually preached to you and me. And then we're going to not let that chain be broken, right? We're going to keep sharing this message with other folks who are going to share it with other folks who are going to share it with other folks. Yes, no, maybe. You follow what I'm saying? So I believe that's recorded in heaven. I mean, it, you, Malachi tells us that anytime a group of people get together and, and talk about the Lord, that he records it in a book. So, you know, you've signed into the class, but before you ever registered in the class, your name was recorded in heaven, that you were here for discipleship class number four. And I believe not only every person that's here is written, I believe every word that's spoken. Um, is recorded in heaven, right? I mean, so if Father's recording every time people get together and talk about him, I think he's probably recorded, you know, all of those. Um, he knows everything anyway, so if it's not recorded, I can ask him, he'll tell me. But, amen. So, these signs will follow those who believe. 
We're not talking about something that was only, um, you know, available to and option for the uh, original uh, disciples, but it's, uh, and then, of course, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, he, he explains, Peter, Holy Spirit through Peter, this gift is for you, it's for your children, it's for your children's children, it's for as, the many, it's for as many as the Lord our God shall call. It's for everybody, in other words. Making sure that we understand that this is not just a generational uh, gift, so to speak. All right? Amen. Can you hang in here a few more minutes? All right. Okay. I get stirred up about this stuff, man. I'm telling you, God's good. See, we, we, we are a part of something so much bigger than ourselves. But we were created to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. Amen. We, we, were, we, we were designed for it. That's why isolation from, from God and others is, is such a terrible thing. I mean, depression and all that stuff, you know, it, it's, it's a cycle, amen, that the Holy Spirit's helping some people break. And, and COVID, see, I, listen, I don't get me started on all that, but obviously Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Um, but I believe the primary target of COVID was the church. That's the thing the devil fears the most is the body of Christ in the earth. And, 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 and COVID was intended to weaken uh, the body of Christ, to, to, to separate people from the body of Christ, people that were faithful uh, to, to be at church, um, that, that uh, you know, break that faithfulness. Keith Moore says, never underestimate how quickly your flesh will get used to not going to church, okay? <laughs> It'll get used to not going to church really quick if you're not careful, okay? Um, and listen, I, I, you know, they may be somewhere watching right now, but we've got folks that were faithful, faithful, faithful to Heritage before COVID that just, you know, they, they watch it online now. They, they haven't been back or rarely, if ever, do they come back. Um, and it's not healthy, you know, my mama was talking about it yesterday. She says, look, you know, son, I love to watch it online, but there's nothing like being there in person. And again, it's because it's, it's, the, it's the corporate anointing. It's, it's, and listen, I'm, I've got folks watching in other states. I'm not throwing rocks at anybody. But we need, we were not created to be alone. We, we were created for community and, and, and to, to, to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we all, as, as, as the Word of God says, we all have our supply in other words, our part to bring. And that's not just talking about finances. That's talking about our gifts and abilities and talents and skills. And, and he says it's when we offer our supply to the other members in the body of Christ that it, it's like the tendons and the ligaments that, that knit us together, that knit a person into um, the body of Christ. And so it's, it's encouraging. It's exciting about what God is doing. And I, listen, I know some of you are, are here. Uh, you know, you're from other places and and, and you're here because you're a part of a discipleship program at a local ministry and things of that nature. And I'm, just, I'm excited about the pastors that, that you're going to go back to. Amen. Those of you who are part of other churches, you know, that, um, you know, that they're going to benefit in, the, in that family of faith, that, that body of believers that you are a part of is going to benefit from, from what you are learning and growing and developing in to go back and offer to them. Amen. All right. So... Let's, let's dig into this now. An eternal God created you for an eternal purpose. Okay? An eternal God. Remember, God is uncreated. He's always been. He'll always be. He's always been. He will always be. That seems difficult to believe, but you know, your, your meat computer, your brain don't know what to do with that, but your heart does. You can understand it with your heart. But one of the ways I try to explain it in a logical, so to speak, way to people is that um, 
no matter what you believe about our origin, every theory that leaves God out of the picture has a fatal flaw, and that is it has to assume that something has always been. Um, and, and so what you run into with all those, you know, every time you run into, well, something has to have always been, you run into God because He's always been, He always has been, He always will be, okay? And then this eternal God, He created you, by the way, in His image and in His likeness to look like He looks and to function the way He functions for an eternal purpose, all right? God is, God is all about purpose. Um, amen. Are you, are you with me? He's all about purpose. Everything He creates, it has a purpose. Now, you know, we look at um, different things in creation and we're like, well, what in the world is the purpose for a mosquito? Well, remember, we live on a cursed planet and, and there's coming a day when, you know, things will not be as they are right now. Um, but still, God is a God of eternal purpose. Sin through a wrench in what God made perfect, okay? And then... As we kind of work our way through this, you existed in the heart of God before you were formed in your mother's womb. That's, again, your meat computer doesn't know what to do with that. Your brain doesn't know what to do with that. But, but your heart, I mean, you can understand that with your heart. You existed in the heart of God before you were formed in your mother's womb. Okay? So when we see verses like ones we've already um, looked at, 2 Timothy 1.9, who saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Amen. How about, um, this is one I, I imagine some of you are familiar with, Jeremiah chapter 1 and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you, or ordained you, a prophet to the nations. So before you were formed in your mother's womb, you were known by God. And the scriptures are very clear in Romans 8, 29, and 30. We looked at those verses a time or two already. Whom he foreknew, he predetermined to be conformed to the image of his son. So God's plan for all of us was that we be as Jesus is to him. And we see that Jesus is referred to in scripture as the only begotten son of God, but after the cross, He's now the firstborn among many brethren. Amen. Now, this Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 where he, he uses these words sanctified and ordained. Sanctified means to be set apart for a specific purpose. So before you were born, you were in the heart and mind of God. You were set apart for a specific purpose. Then there's this word ordained. Ordained means appointed. Think appointment. Okay, I had an appointment yesterday to have my teeth cleaned. And that appointment was a what? For a specific day, a specific time. So when the Bible says that God knew you and before you were formed, he set you apart and ordained you, what he's literally saying is that you are who you are and you are when you are on purpose and according to his design. You are who you are and you are when you are on purpose. You know, sometimes we have those experiences in life where you just had to be there, you know. And um, we, uh, it was the year that I turned 40, so that would have been 15 years ago. Um, we carried our youth department during the uh, Christmas holidays after Christmas 
to uh, what we called uh, winter camp. We went up to, to Gatlinburg area and we went out uh, one afternoon to Cades Cove. And if you've ever been to Cades Cove in uh, Great Smoky Mountains National Park, you know that there are a couple of churches there and there's one, um, it's, I don't, I forget the name of the church, but um, our plans were, and it worked out well to, uh, to have like a, a service in there and the acoustics in that room and you know, had some people that, that led the singing. We started singing, we started worshiping. And next thing we know, a lot of other tourists, you know, who loved Jesus had joined us, you know, so was, the crowd was growing, you know, and it was all spontaneous. And it was one of those moments in life, you know, written in heaven, but I'll, it, I'll never forget it. I mean, it's just a, a beautiful, beautiful um, experience. And, and so when I had the opportunity to, to get up and, 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 say a few words. I'm not like there to preach some 45-minute sermon or something. But, but um, outside those, you know, wavy glass, you know, antique glass windows, there was a cemetery, and those headstones on those, you know, graves are from the 1800s, some of them, you know. And, um, and, and the point the Holy Spirit was emphasizing on that afternoon to not just our young people but to the other folks that had joined, right, was that those folks had already had their shot, right? We, we weren't born in the 1800s, and if Jesus tarries, we won't be here for the 2200s, okay? But we're here now, and we're here for such a time as this. Amen? And there's a lot crazy going on in our world today, but none of it's a surprise or a shock to God. Um, and where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. Amen? And, and so we are who we are by design, by purpose. We are when we are, not just who we are. You are, you are a very unique uh, human unit, amen? <laughs> There's never been another human like you, and there never will be another one like you, okay? God created you very specific and very special and very unique uh, with a unique uh, mix of interests and gifts and talents and abilities and emotions and, and, and all of that, okay? Um, and, and all of that is by design. Now, we know the enemy tries to come in and hijack those things and, and, um, and you know, use our gifts and callings against us if, if he can. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. Hard to find anybody more committed, more dedicated, more determined than him. And, boy, when he had that going in the wrong direction, he was a terror to the church, right? Because he was committed and he was determined and he was passionate about shutting it down, amen, until he got born again. Right now, he's like, um, when the prophet says, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to bind you and throw you into prison preaching the gospel. He says, I don't care if they kill me. I'm going to preach the gospel in Jerusalem. You know what I'm saying? I'm a Rome. I'm sorry. Um, so, you know, it, it's right. There was the same Peter that's like rebuking Jesus and over my dead body and cutting a man's ear off. Very impulsive, right? He's also the first one that says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. He's also the first one that stands up on the day of Pentecost and preaches a, a sermon where 3,000 folks get saved. So a lot of times the devil will try to use the, the gifts and talents and unique abilities and things that are special to you. If he can, he'll try to hijack those things and use those things against you. I'm a very easygoing person. Those, those who know me know 
then I'm very easy going. And, um, but see, what the devil tried to do in me, in, in my life then with that is, is just, you know, let people walk all over me, you know, and not be confrontational, not stand up when I need to stand up, not speak up when I need to speak up. So what, however it is that God hardwired you for his purposes, Satan will try to use those purposes against you and, and, and in a negative way. Um, I mentioned coming out of my mother's womb. The, the, the real truth of that is I came out of my mother's womb looking for somebody to please. Okay, somebody to serve, somebody to please. Well, see, I have to watch that because um, if I'm not careful, I'll, I'll put people ahead of God. I'll try to please people instead of pleasing God. Um, and one of my favorite quotes, leadership quotes from Dr. Miles Monroe is, you can't effectively lead people until you're free from their opinions of you. So there's some things I've struggled with in my own life. But, but again, God gave me the disposition um, that, he, that he did. Um, uh, easy going, gentle spirit, you know, that's me. Doesn't make me any better than you if you're, if you're hard driving and, and wide open, okay? Um, but these are ways that God created us and special unique things about us that all coincide with the purposes for which we were created and designed, okay? So next week we'll begin here. Which came first, you or your purpose? And it's not a trick question, okay? Um, it was your purpose, and God created you in light of it, okay? He didn't create you and it's like, oh, man, we've got to figure out something to do with this chick. You know, I don't know, man. She's, she's unlike anybody we've ever created. Well, everybody's unlike anybody you ever created, right? No, no, no. He had a purpose in mind for you before he created you. That's why he knew you, he designed you, appointed you, gave you purpose and grace in Christ Jesus before time began. So God knew your purpose and created you in light of it and, and equipped you the way he equipped you so that you will fit hand in glove with that unique calling and purpose and ministry, amen, that he has for you. Praise God. You get anything out of this tonight? Yeah. All right. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for knowing us and, 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 and calling us and, and having purpose and destiny for us, Lord. I thank you, Father, that um, in, in your great plan, Lord, part of my purpose is to help other people find theirs. And I thank you, Lord, um, that you're doing that by your word and by your Holy Spirit tonight in, in these men's and women's lives. Father, um, these folks are needed, uh, Lord. Uh, they're needed in, 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 in the service of their king. Uh, and Father, I pray that from this group you will rise up, uh, raise up rather, a, a group of people um, who are yours to command, uh, who are willing to do whatever it is, Lord, that you have called and created us to do. Um, Father, be blessed um, tonight um, uh, by the efforts uh, that have been put in uh, to, to this time together. Uh, be glorified, Father, in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you're loved. If nobody's told you that, thank you so much for being here. Uh, good things coming uh, for you and for